0: Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 17. I'm your host, Paul Reichoff. Call sign Ferrari Barbie. More on that later. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. 30 plus years of service.
1: Combat medals. Citation is. Only man to shoot down three enemy planes in the last 40 years. Yet you can't get a promotion. You won't retire. Despite your best efforts, you refuse to die. You should be at least a two-star admiral by now. Yet here you are, Captain. What is that?
2: It's one of life's mysteries, sir. The end is inevitable, Maverick. You kind is headed for extinction.
0: Maybe so, sir. But not today. Not today. Nope. Not today. Maverick is back. Yep. If you haven't heard, there's a new Top Gun coming. And if you're not excited, you're not paying attention. Or you don't have a pulse. Or you're a Russian MiG pilot. Yep. Maverick and Top Gun are coming back. That trailer was just released, and the new film is coming next summer. But that was 1986. This is 2019. And we're going to get into that and much more later this episode with Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel Retired Amy McGrath, the first female Marine Corps pilot to fly the F-18 on a combat mission. She's the real life Maverick, call sign Krusty, but Colonel Amy McGrath bravely fought America's enemies overseas for 20 years. Now she's in the most important Senate fight in the country, seeking to knock out Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. We sat down to talk with her about that race, leadership, integrity, parenthood, and how she got the call sign Krusty. And we'll get into what's got her angry and what should have all Americans angry. Have you bet on this show having lots of material because there's so much in America to be angry about? Well, then it was the best bet you've made since buying Apple stock back in 2003 when you were deployed overseas in Iraq. Yep. Well, I did that. Unfortunately, I sold it a year later when I got home to buy a Jeep, but I made the right bet at the time. And if you bet on there being plenty to be angry about in America all this summer, and us having plenty to cover for this show, then you made the right bet too. But unlike me, I hope you're holding as a long-term investor, because every single week in America, there is mass amounts of shit to be angry about. But before we get into that, this week... Beyond all that we've got to be angry about, there's good reason to be happy, or at least relieved.
2: The clerk will read the bill
3: for the third time. Calendar number 153, H.R. 1327, an act to extend authorization for the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund of 2001 through fiscal year two thousand ninety two, and for other purposes. The question occurs on
4: passage of the bill. Is there a sufficient second? There is a sufficient second. The clerk will call the roll.
3: Mr. Alexander. Senators voting in the affirmative. Alexander, Barrasso, Bennett, Blackburn, Blumenthal, Blunt, Booker, Bozeman, Braun, Brown, Burr, Cantwell, Capucho, Cardin, Carper, Casey, Cassidy, Collins, Coons, Cornyn, Cortez Masto, Cotton, Kramer, Crapo, Cruz, Danes, Duckworth, Durbin, Enzi, Ernst, Feinstein, Fisher, Gardner, Gillibrand, Graham, Grassley, Harris, Hassan, Hawley, Heinrich, Hirono, Hoven, Hydesmith, Inhofe, Johnson, Jones, Kane, Kennedy, King, Klobuchar, Lankford, Leahy, Manchin, Markey, McConnell, McSally, Menendez, Merkley, Moran, Murkowski, Murphy, Murray, Perdue, Peters, Portman, Reed, Risch, Roberts, Romney, Rosen, Rounds, Rubio, Sanders, Sass, Schatz, Schumer, Scott of Florida, Scott of South Carolina, Shaheen, Shelby, Cinema, Smith, Stabenow, Sullivan, Tester, Tillis, Toomey, Udall, Van Hollen, Warner, Warren, Whitehouse, Wicker, Wyden, Young. Mr. Thune, aye. Senators voting in the negative, Lee, Hall. No. (laughs) Expression of approval is not permitted in the gallery. Expression of approval is not permitted in the gallery.
0: Well, it damn sure is deserved. And it's approved here and all across America and especially in the homes of thousands of first responders. Yes, expression of approval is permitted on this damn show. Oh, yeah every day is better We're a little cool in the gang right well angry americans we have our first victory and it's a big one the 9-11 victims compensation fund has passed this week after months really years of fighting and after so many of you who listen to this show took action from all political backgrounds from all across america and all across the world the senate finally passed the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. From day one of this show, I told you we'd stay on top of issues, we'd get behind leaders, and we'd make America a better place. Well, we did that. This week, the Senate agreed to the House version of the bill that will effectively make permanent the Special Compensation Fund for First Responders and Other Victims of the 9-11 Attacks providing whatever money is needed to pay all eligible claims filed by October 1st, 2090. 2090. By 2090, most of us will be dead, or at least I'll be dead, unless I live to be 115, like Joe Biden, who now looks young and spry compared to Robert Mueller this week, actually. But by 2090, they'll both be long gone, and I will be too unless Elon Musk joins me for this show and helps me figure out how to freeze myself, or I land a few of those seats to Mars, which I doubt will happen, given my thoughts on Trump's Space Force. But regardless, through 2090, we'll be covered. Me, Rob Sarah, and all the other 9-11 first responders, all the heroes who stepped up, all the kids that lived and went to school near ground zero and are now showing signs of cancer, all the survivors in all 50 states they'll be covered, at least financially. The vote was overwhelming. You heard it, 97 to 2. Only one senator didn't vote, Republican Senator Johnny Isaacson, who was in the hospital after a fall. But I know Senator Isaacson, he's a good man, and if he wasn't in the hospital, I'm sure he would have voted yes. So, it's passed. And it's about damn time. And after all this, honestly, I'm a bit conflicted. Maybe it's really not a time to celebrate, but to know we won. The good guys won. And the bad guys lost. It's really a feeling of relief more than anything else, wrapped in concern. This was our democracy in action. And in inaction. This show is about examining the state of our great American experiment. And this entire 9-11 fight was a case study in all that's wrong with America. and. All oh, that's right. But it never should have been this hard. It's a reflection of America's troubling state of affairs that it was this hard. But the leadership of Jon Stewart, John Feal, and too many who've already died, that leadership represented the best of us. They showed the American fighting spirit, the maverick spirit. They made this possible. They named names and they kicked ass. And our friend Rob Serra, One of my personal heroes, whose first day on the job at the New York Fire Department was 9-11, he made it possible. If you've been listening to this show from the beginning this spring, you heard Rob Sarah's inspiring story. And if you're new to this show, go back after this and check out those episodes. Rob and other key leaders made this happen. And Rob is a source of hope. The two interviews we had with him represent the four eyes of this show at their best. Integrity, information, inspiration and impact. Rob represents the best of what this country is all about. But two assholes voted against this bill, and they, they represent the worst of what this country is all about. Senator Mike Lee of Utah and Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, the newest official inductees into the Political Asshole Hall of Fame. They're in there now, right next to Senator Tom Coburn of Oklahoma, who blocked the Clay Hunt Suicide for American Veterans bill back in 2014. Yep, this kind of stupidity has actually happened before. But this time, it was Senator Mike Lee and Senator Rand Paul. Both are Republicans. But it's not about that. It's not about their party. It's about their actions. And they're just assholes. But even worse, they're selfish. Like the anti-measles people we've discussed at length on this show the people who refuse to vaccinate their kids. Mike Lee and Rand Paul care more about themselves than they care about others. They care about their twisted politics, their special interests, and their ridiculous and radical ideology. They care about that more than they care about the greater good, more than they care about our national defense. And I have a message for both of them. Senator Mike Lee, Senator Rand Paul, as a first responder myself, I will support whoever runs against you and has any chance of removing you from office for the rest of my life. When the moment of truth for America came, you failed. And I won't give you more chances to fail more Americans. The stakes are too damn high. Your shameless and selfish politics are bad for America. You are bad for America. And we won and you lost. I want to make sure you lose again. And first responder and guy I hope runs for mayor or senator or anything, John Feal, he said it best. That's for Rand Paul and uh, Mike Lee, told you so. We whipped your asses. 97 to 2. Yep. Mike Lee and Rand Paul tried to stop us. And for that, we will never forget. Ever. Ever. I need like an echo effect for that. Ever. Just like we'll never forget how Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell failed to make this happen months ago. He kept his promise in the end and he brought the vote to the floor. But for too long, he failed to respond to our calls. He failed to prioritize this bill. In addition to failing America in so many other areas, ranging from properly overseeing our wars to holding our reckless president accountable to calling out Trump's racism, McConnell just couldn't do it. Just like he couldn't condemn the president's racist comments specifically, despite his critical leadership position in America as our Senate majority leader, and despite he himself being married to a woman who is Chinese American. His wife, Elaine Chao, is the United States Secretary of Transportation, and she was born in Taipei to Chinese parents who left mainland China following the Chinese Civil War. His own wife immigrated to the U.S. at age eight. And Mitch McConnell still couldn't check Trump's racist comments. We covered the racism of Trump at length in the last episode with Soledad O'Brien. So if you haven't heard that, go check it out. But the racism that's ripping apart this country remains a critically important issue nationwide. And it will remain critically important as long as he's in office, and. The ripple effects will probably echo afterward for a long time. I was on MSNBC's AM Joy with Joy Reid last week to sound off on this, and I'm going to continue to sound the alarm as often as I can. Because Trump's racism is not just bad for people of color. It's bad for all Americans, and it's bad for the world. And let's break this down a little further. Trump as a racist is bad for so many reasons, and it's an issue we have to continue to track on because it doesn't go away. It gets worse. It calcifies. Trump likes to view himself as the CEO president. Okay. Well, let's think of him as the CEO of a massive company with 2 million employees. That's how many federal workers there are in this country. So he's kind of like the CEO for America. But think about what it would mean if he was the CEO of something else. Let's pick something he likes. Burger King. So imagine if everyone in America knew that Burger King's CEO was a racist. Think about what that would do to Burger King, no matter how good their onion rings are. People of color wouldn't want to work there. They wouldn't feel safe there. They wouldn't want to eat there. And if they had to eat there, they'd be concerned that they wouldn't be safe or that someone would be spitting in their burger. Now, extend that to how every person in America has to interact with the entire U.S. government, of which Trump is a CEO. They can't, and they shouldn't reasonably trust any of it. The entire federal government is contaminated by his racist leadership, the law enforcement, the IRS, the DMV, the schools, the hospitals, the fire department, the military, the parking ticket officers, the TSA, anyone who works for the government. If the CEO is a racist, it's rightfully assumed that the thing they run is racist. It's a problem. It's a big problem. And it's all of our problem now. And it's something we should all be angry about and with good reason. Now, there are a few other important issues in the news that you should be tracking on and some that should make you angry and inspire you to action. The next Democratic debate is set for CNN Next week, that's the end of this month, two nights, July 30th and July 31st. The moderators for those debates will be Dana Bash, Don Lemon, and Jake Tapper. Now, interestingly, there's two lineups. The first crew is 10 people, and I'll call that the white lineup. And then the second one is the people of color lineup. And they were chosen at random. But nevertheless, they actually managed to put every single candidate of color on the second lineup. So night one, July 30th, is Marion Williamson, Tim Ryan, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Betta O'Rourke, John Hickenlooper, John Delaney, and Steve Bullock. That's night number one. Night number two, July 31st, Michael Bennett, Kristen Gillibrand, Julian Castro, Cory Booker, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, and Bill de Blasio. If you didn't hear their name, they didn't make the cut. So look for that next week and for much more coverage from me in the podcast afterward. But there's another debate up. Get your popcorn ready because it's going to be hot. Also hot, Iran. Iran is still hot. This week, the Iranians seized a British oil tanker called the Stena Piro. At least one British oil tanker in the vital Persian Gulf waterway was seized by the Iranians this past Friday. The escalations with the West continue, and we are all still on pins and needles about a possible military clash. Even as voices on both sides appear to be seeking negotiations, there's almost something new every week. And the impoundment of this new tanker by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps came a day after the US said it downed an Iranian drone menacing an American warship in the region. Also, Iran says it killed 17 CIA spies. Iran claimed on Monday that it arrested 17 Iranian nationals allegedly recruited by the CIA to spy on the country's nuke program and military sites, and that some of these people have already been sentenced to death. In a tweet, Trump called the reports of the arrest totally false. The people taken into custody worked on sensitive sites in the country's military and nuke facilities. That's what an Iranian intelligence official told a news conference in Iran. He didn't say how many of them got the death sentence or when the sentences were handed out. And then Iranian state television published images Monday that it said showed CIA officers who were in contact with the alleged spies. That's what Reuters reported. The CIA didn't offer any immediate comment uh, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo declined to address specifics. But he said the Iranian regime has a long history of lying. Well, so does our president. So here we are. Tensions with Iran continue to remain hot, and most of America was not at all focused on it. So watch this space. Speaking of hot, the Mueller testimony was this week, and everyone was watching. It was absolutely critical. You've seen in the past, I've recommended you read the report, and I recommend that you watch the testimony for yourself. Remember, Mueller is a Marine, and I think that will impact the way he approaches this. He's a man of integrity. He's a decorated combat veteran. I think it also reminded everyone especially in the House, that Congress is filled with some of the most unimpressive people in America. A key highlight I want to make, Mueller, again, sounded the alarm on Russian intervention. He said over the course of his career, he's seen a number of challenges to his democracy, but the government, Russian government's effort to intervene in our election is among the most serious. And he said it deserves the attention of every American.
2: Let me say one more thing. Over the course of my career, I have seen a number of challenges to our democracy. The Russian government's effort to interfere in our election is among the most serious. As I said on May 29th, this deserves the attention of every American.
0: Bob Mueller told everyone, attention must be paid. In the midst of all this storm of controversy and accusations in politics, remember, he is sounding the alarm on the fact that the Russians have attacked our democracy, a pillar of our democracy. He also told lawmakers that his investigation, quote, did not address collusion, which is not a legal term, contradicting President Trump. And I think many Americans who casually watch politics will painfully learn how incredibly annoying congressional hearings can be and how petty, partisan, and just plain dumb many members of Congress are. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Representative Louis Gohmert. Let's talk about Representative Louis Gohmert. Here's Representative Louis Gomer in the hearing this week with Mueller.
1: And if somebody knows they did not conspire with anybody from Russia to affect the election, and they see the big Justice Department with people that hate that person coming after them, and then a special counsel appointed who hires dozen or more people that hate that person and he knows he's innocent. He's not corruptly acting in order to see that justice is done. What he's doing is not obstructing justice. He is pursuing justice. And the fact that you gentlemen's ran it out two years means you t- perpetuated injustice. I take, gentlemen's, I back. I take your gentlemen's question.
0: time has expired. The witness
1: may answer the question. I take your question.
0: Mueller says, I take your question, which means shut the fuck up crazy man that's designated crazy person for the republican party congressman louis gohmert here's a little more gohmert just to entertain you in this podcast
1: mr Mueller. who wrote the nine minute comments you read at your may 29th press conference Uh, i'm not gonna get into that Okay, so that's what I thought. You didn't write it. A 2013 puff piece in the Washingtonian about Comey said basically when Comey called, you'd drop everything you were doing. It gave examples. You're having dinner with your wife and daughter. Comey calls, you drop everything and go. Uh, it, the article quoted Comey as saying if a train were coming down the track, and I quote, at least Bob Mueller will be standing on the tracks with me. Yes. Uh, you and James Comey, have been good friends, or were good friends for a, for many years? Correct. Well, we were business associates. We both started
2: off in the Justice Department. About you the were same good time.
1: friends. You can work together and not be friends, but you we and were Comey friends. were friends. We were friends. That's my question. Thank you for getting to the answer.
0: So that's Louis Gohmert, self-proclaimed expert on friendship, among other things. It, it's like the GOP sent a memo to all their members this week directing them to be as annoyingly angry and uncomfortably aggressive as possible today. And for me and for all other independents in America, this display is not helping persuade us on any level to come to the Republican side. It's a day that can never be unseen. But I'm not rushing to be a Democrat either. It was a sad day for America. It was a disgusting display. And frankly... Mueller didn't blow the doors off of anyone, but he is a man of integrity. He's done his job, and for anyone to question his integrity or his patriotism is completely out of bounds. It's far from over, and no matter what party you come from or no party at all, it's reason to be angry and maybe just bum the hell out. Here's a little more reason to be angry. In North Carolina, jail staff is accused of beating and abusing a mentally ill veteran. The Appeal had an important and detailed piece on this. Check out The Appeal. They do original journalism on criminal justice. But this is a case with damn good reason to be angry. It involves a 54-year-old Army veteran named Jerry Parker. A civil rights lawsuit claims that officers pepper sprayed him, stripped him naked, and then surrounded him and beat him to death. Parker was admitted to the Wayne County Detention Center in Goldsboro, North Carolina for breaking a window in his neighbor's truck in May of 2017. He told officers that God told him to do it. During and after his arrest, he was talking quickly and incoherently, signs that he was in the midst of some kind of psychiatric emergency. But instead of conducting a mental health screening or getting this guy treatment, detention officers allegedly pepper sprayed him, stripped him naked, and left him alone in a cell. Later, when they brought him into a shower, they surrounded him and beat the hell out of him. That's according to a civil rights lawsuit filed in federal court last week. After that, they hogtied him and shocked him with a stun gun. By the time he was brought to a hospital later that night, he had been suffocated and had a cardiac arrest. He was pronounced a day after his arrest. Our criminal justice system is an issue that we will cover on this show. We'll also cover the incredible stress and often the lack of resources that our law enforcement people face. And... We'll get into how the mental health system is broken and how they're all intertwined. But for now, I'll post a full story online and you should read it at angryamericans.us and on our Twitter. It's reason to be angry, active and concerned. There's more reason to be concerned. Boris Johnson was elected prime minister of the United Kingdom. This is going to be bad. Boris Johnson is like Trump light. He's like a poor man's British version of Trump with surprisingly similar hair he kind of looks like trump's little brother maybe they're actually related shit with trump who really knows right but he was a controversial bomb thrower on british tv that's where he started out then he was a controversial mayor of london and then he quickly turned his publicity events into kind of these comedic adventures like when he got stuck on a zip line while promoting the london olympics well that's boris johnson and he's going to push brexit And he will surely rip the UK apart on social issues in the same way Trump has. He's an ally of Trump, which assures us all one thing. A messy world is about to get even messier, which takes us to our next and related cause for concern. This week, the Senate confirmed Mark Esper as Secretary of Defense. We've covered this in previous episodes and the ongoing issues to replace Secretary Mattis. The vote was 90 to 8. The Senate confirmed Mark Esper as our new secretary of defense. That's the first confirmed secretary of defense this year. We went over 200 days while at war without a approved secretary of defense. Eight Democrats voted no. Booker, Gillibrand, Harris, Klobuchar, Markey, Merkley, Warren, and Wyden. One thing you'll notice, five of them are presidential candidates. Not voting, Isaacson and Sanders. Now, I told you last week, Esper wasn't even asked about our war in Afghanistan. You want to convince us you should be president and commander in chief to all the Democrats? How about remembering we're at war and American sons and daughters are dying in Afghanistan? This week, Afghanistan or Forgotistan, as I've often called it, check the hashtag Forgotistan, Forgotistan actually got some attention, but not the kind we're looking for. This goes in the category of unbelievably crazy shit that came out of the president's mouth this week this week in a press conference with pakistani prime minister imran khan trump said he could wipe afghanistan off the face of the earth in 10 days check out this audio
1: we're not fighting a war if we wanted to fight a war in afghanistan and win it i could win that war in a week i just don't want to kill 10 million people does that make sense to you i don't want to kill 10 million people I have plans on Afghanistan that if I wanted to win that war, Afghanistan would be wiped off the face of the earth. It would be gone. It would be over in literally in 10 days. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that route.
0: Trump says he doesn't want millions to die and mused about wiping out Afghanistan, a country we're supposedly trying to help and is actually our ally. So you heard that right. The crazy thing Trump said this week or one of the crazy things he said this week is he has some secret plan to win the war in Afghanistan against the Taliban, a war that has lasted 20 years. He says he can win it in just over a week by basically committing war crimes. So, yeah, there's that, America. Awesome. A bit more cause for concern this week, folks. We have a measles update. Yes, we've covered the measles problem in this podcast throughout the entire season. Well, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention on Monday confirmed another 25 cases of measles last week, with Ohio and Alaska now reporting their first 2019 infections. So congratulations to all the folks in those states. Now, why does it matter? America's continuing to move toward losing the measles elimination status it's had since 2000, with the greatest number of cases we've had in the U.S. reported since 1992. Now, the CDC spokesperson, Jason McDonald, talked to Axios, and he said the loss of elimination status would be a huge blow for the nation and erase the hard work done in all levels of public health. The measles elimination goal, first announced in 1966 and accomplished in 2000, was a monumental task. So there's some good news. New cases in New York City and state have dropped after there were some strong public health measures taken, including revoking non-medical exemptions for MMR vaccinations, Uh, And in New York City, only one case was confirmed between July 1 and July 15, and it was not Jessica Beale. Bad news, new states are recording individual cases, including Ohio and Alaska. And the highly contagious virus requires a vaccination rate in the community to halt its spread. So the total number of states with at least one confirmed case of measles in 2019 is now 30. Check out the CDC website for more. Don't be scared, be empowered. Unless you live next to Jessica Beale then you should probably be scared. I'm talking to you, JT. Nobody in America wants you getting measles, man. Staying with crazy stuff, I think I should do a new segment called Crazy Shit Happening in America because there's always some crazy shit happening in America and an abundance of it right now. There's some crazy legislation happening in Texas. As if you all in Texas didn't already have enough to deal with with the scooter invasion in Austin and San Antonio. But check this out. Governor Abbott signed a particularly interesting piece of legislation. Here's the audio from the press conference.
3: Discrimination is not tolerated in Texas. No business should be discriminated against simply because its owners gave to a church or to the Salvation Army or to any other religious organization. No business should lose a government contract because of their religious beliefs. The Save Chick-fil-A legislation that I'm about to sign is a victory for religious freedom in Texas. I want to thank uh, Senator Brian Hughes and Representative Matt Krause for leading the way on this, Uh, as well as thank all of our other great members here today. Senator Nelson, uh, obviously, Representative, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've
2: done, Uh, not just with this, but everything uh, across the board. Uh, And Senator Hall,
3: thank you very much.
2: Chick-fil-A bill
0: is now law in Texas. Yep. The Chick-fil-A bill. What the hell is this? It's corporate-sponsored legislation, and you have to see the video. As he signs the bill, he's surrounded with Chick-fil-A cups and packages. It's worse than when Trump has Burger King and other fast food spread out at the White House for teams that win sports championships. It was complete with product placement. Government action in America should not look like an episode of American Idol. Now, I'm conflicted on Chick-fil-A in general. I know many of my southern friends are going to slam me for this, but I'm just not that into Chick-fil-A. Now, Waffle House, hell yeah. Sign me up all day, every day. That shit is magic. Almost makes me want to choose waffles over pancakes. And the hash browns, hell yeah. Scattered, smothered, and covered. I'll take them all day in all ways. But Chick-fil-A, eh. It's not like an in and out burger, which never disappoints. To all my friends in California, am I right? All right, and speaking of disappointment, especially if you're a Jets fan, NFL QB Mark Sanchez has retired. The dude was an epic disappointment for the Jets. But in fairness, he deserves to be remembered as a bit more than just a butt fumble guy. He did help take him to two AFC championship games. Now, of course, I say this with a comfortable distance as a Giants fan, but... NFL training camp started this week, and that's reason to be happy in my book. If you're looking for a place to channel your energy and your righteous anger, screaming at your favorite or least favorite NFL team on TV or in person at a local stadium, that's one of the great American pastimes. And fall football will be coming just in time after a heated summer. And we will cover football at length and in depth on this podcast, so get ready for that. That's the Angry Americans recap of stories you need to know about. There's plenty of reason to be angry. Stick around for my Angry Action segment for ways to turn that righteous anger into positive impacts. And now, here's your reason to be inspired. Our guest this week is another iconic, important, or inspiring American. Someone who's shaping what America's been, what it is right now, and it will be in the future. I told you this show is going to be a community and a platform for issues, but also for accountability. We're not just going to whine and bitch and tweet and rant. We're going to organize and we're going to mobilize and we're going to take on fights and we're going to win. We showed that with the 9-11 fight. It might be long. It might be hard, but we're going to have the fortitude to stick it out, see it through and do what it takes to prevail. That was true with the 9-11 bill. And it'll be true with taking out Mitch McConnell. I promised him I'd be watching and I'd name names. I named his name. And now I'm going to focus on helping take him out of office, however long it takes. And I told you about his opposition, a leader who stepped up to take him out. Well, this week, she's our guest. This week, Amy McGrath is here to tell her story, lay out the landscape, and challenge us all to step up and do more. And it all starts in Kentucky. Now, I asked last week, what the fuck is going on with the leadership in Kentucky? Together, Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell are doing all they can to ensure Kentucky's less popular nationally than Trump, measles, robocallers, and electric scooters combined. But that's really not fair. Kentucky's actually a wonderful place in many ways with some amazing history, amazing land, and amazing people. Did you know Kentucky has more miles of water that can be navigated than any other state in the Union other than Alaska? Kentucky's the place that rock bands like Cage the Elephant, Sleeper Agent, and Morning Teleportation came from. They're all from Bowling Green. The bluegrass groups, Driftwood and Kentucky Rain, along with Nick Lachey of the pop band 98 Degrees, are also from Kentucky. Noted actress and singer Rosemary Clooney was a native of Maysville, her legacy being celebrated at the annual music festival bearing her name. And more recently in the limelight are amazing country artists that I love, Chris Stapleton and Sturgill Simpson, both from Eastern Kentucky. Kentucky's an amazing place, but right now between Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul and their politicians are crazy and they're driving politics in America for the worse. And we're going to get into that with Amy McGrath. Amy McGrath was born in 1975, the same year that I was. She grew up in Edgewood, Kentucky, where her dad was a teacher and her mom was a doctor. In high school, she played soccer, basketball, and was a captain of the soccer team. She was a leader from an early age, and went on to attend the Naval Academy. After that, she went on to become the first female Marine Corps pilot to fly the F-18 on a combat mission. She served 20 years in the Marine Corps, during which time she flew 89 combat missions, bombing Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. McGrath worked at the Pentagon, a headquarters Marine Corps strategy and plans division, where she was the liaison to the Department of State and USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development. She taught U.S. government to midshipmen as a senior political science instructor at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, and she got a master's in international and global security studies from Johns Hopkins. In 2016, she was inducted into the Aviation Museum of Kentucky's Hall of Fame. McGrath was a lifelong independent, but in 2018 became the Democratic nominee for Kentucky's sixth congressional district in the 2018 election, losing narrowly to Republican incumbent Andy Barr. Earlier this month, she announced her campaign to run for the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate in the 2020 elections against Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Amy's story is a great American story. She's a leader, a veteran, the mother of three young kids, and a total badass. No matter where you live or what party you claim or don't, Amy McGrath's is a story you need to hear. And hers is a voice you'll be hearing a lot in the next year especially. And no matter how this election First, Mitch McConnell goes down. Hers is the voice of an angry American you'll be hearing from for many years to come. She's a person our kids can look up to and a leader we should all be rooting for. We're talking leadership. We're talking whiskey. We're talking politics. We're talking parenthood. And we're doing it fast. Real fast. Because, well, we're also talking about flying. And you know what that means.
1: Hey, Yeah. You're about ice?
3: set want another one really i feel the need the need for speed
0: yep it's time to take this show to new heights higher than we've ever been before high into the skies above It's time for another episode that's strapped in, loaded up, and ready to soar. We've got some wings of integrity, a cockpit full of information, a stacked payload of impact, and an afterburner of inspiration. On the 50th anniversary of America's landing on the moon, we're invoking the great American fighting spirit of fighter pilot legends like Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. And we're taking you on a ride to some new heights. It's time to light this candle. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 17. Sooner or later, we all have to wear a dress shirt. And I think we all know that sucks. There's nothing fun about it. Very little upside. They're uncomfortable. They're restricting and you have to wear them and you wonder why nobody's made them better. Well, if you've listened to this show before, you know that I have good news. Someone has made dress shirts better, and that someone is Mizzen and Maine. I love Mizzen and Maine. I hope you'll check them out. Mizzen and Maine makes dress shirts for men that are actually comfortable. Yes, you heard that right. Dress shirts that are comfortable. But how? But why? Well, it's their fabrics. Mizzen and Maine shirts are made with performance fabrics. That means they stretch and move with you all day long. Mizzen and Maine is an awesome company, and they've also got a flagship store in Dallas, Texas. They've got another store at the Shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, Texas, and they've got a new store in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Check that out. Mizzen and Maine is just great. Here's the other thing: we're in summer months, which means when it gets hot and it's really uncomfortable, and you gotta wear a dress shirt. Maybe you gotta wear it to a wedding, or maybe you gotta wear it to a job interview. Or maybe your business casual and you wear a dress shirt like I do often with no tie. And in a normal cotton dress shirt, you're like a sponge. You sweat. Your cotton shirt soaks it up. It takes forever to dry. It's gross. Not with Mizzen and Maine. They got these cool performance fabrics that dry quickly and wick away moisture so you don't have to worry about looking like a mess. Especially in the summer, these shirts are incredible. As I've told you, J.J. Watt wears them. Football season's back. You're going to see J.J. Watt rocking them. Uh, so does golfing legend Phil Mickelson. And that's because Mizzen and Maine performs. Company is headquartered in America, in Texas, and I am very proud to have them as a founding sponsor of this show and all things Angry Americans. They're wrinkle resistant, making them perfect for travel. So you can put them in your backpack, you can put them in your car, when you're on the plane or on a horse, you can just pull them out of your bag and you got nothing to worry about. They're easy folks. They work, they're comfortable, and you can wash them at home without paying the dry cleaner, which is going to save you a bunch of money. So head on over to MizzeninMaine.com. Uh, or their backup website, which is super cool, www.comfortable.af. That's really a website. Use the code ANGRYAMERICANS at checkout, and you'll get 10 bucks off a dress shirt right now. That's MizzeninMaine.com. Check them out for yourself, for someone in your life. Maine, awesome company, awesome product. It's never felt better to look your best. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Classic Car Club Manhattan for an extremely uh, timely and I think important conversation with somebody that we've talked about on this show for weeks. So many of you have have been watching the fight for 9-11 first responders. Many of you have heard me talk about the camouflage wave of veterans who are running for office, who are coming from all backgrounds to try to push this country forward. And many of you have heard me talk about Amy McGrath. And every episode, I want to interview someone who is iconic, important, and or inspiring. And I think Amy's at least two of those already. Um, But she's in maybe the most important Senate race in America, taking on Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. And she's here in New York. And this worked out. And I'm really thrilled and happy you could join us. So first of all, welcome to New York.
4: Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: And welcome to the Classic Car Club. Yeah. Um, We got a break in the heat. It might only be for a couple hours, but coming from Kentucky, you know heat, so this is yeah, nothing, this is right?
4: Actually great up here. It's nice and cool.
0: And I ask every guest to choose a, a cocktail or a beverage. Mm-hmm. And it always just gives us a little bit of insight into who they are. And every episode <laughs> we talk about American whiskey. Right. As a part of the show. We talk about cars. And I asked, you know, what you wanted. And your team said either bullet, bourbon. Right. Or Woodford Reserve.
4: That's right. So both we, Kentucky bourbon. So we got
0: Woodford Reserve. That's perfect. And tell us why. Why? What do you? What do you well, love They're just
4: the. About- they're just the two that I really like. I really like Bullock because it's a little sweeter, and uh, you know I like a little bit sweeter. Um, and so those are two, my two favorites.
0: So we've never actually had someone who's from such an important region to this conversation (laughs) on, on whiskey and you're kind of all the great parts about this show coming together, like civic action uh, you know, coming from a a military and and first responder background Mm -hmm. um, and now, you know, stepping up to lead at a time when it, when it's really, really important. But for folks who don't know you, Amy, can, can you give us, you know, a a journey into the way, way back machine. You were the first female F-18 fighter pilot, in the Marine Corps?
4: Not quite. Um, Please take. Yeah. Take me. So um, I, I ended up being the first um, woman Marine to fly in an F eighteen in a combat mission. I was doing it as a backseater. I, I later became a frontseater, our pilot. So there's a distinction there. But um, I was able to become the first. Not not because I was. I was just in the right place at the right time. I mean, you were in the military. You just you're in the right place at the right time. And. For me, as a woman, you know, the doors just opened right when I turned 18 Hmm. for um, the job that I wanted, which was to fly combat jets on aircraft carriers and just combat jets in general. So at that time, it was 1992, 93, uh, we had a combat exclusion law, and that's how I had to learn about government because when I was 13, I advocated, I, I had this dream, wanted to be a fighter pilot. And I remember... You know, what is all 13 year olds or 12 year olds who have a dream? They go to the library and they research everything. And I found out, well, there's no women doing this. Well, why? Well, there's a federal law prohibiting it. So I had to learn about government. And I, w- I became an advocate. I wrote my member of Congress. I wrote um, my senators. Uh, and I wasn't happy with the response. Um, basically, my member of Congress wrote me back a nice letter that said essentially, um, you're a girl. <laughs> go do something right. else. And, and I wasn't happy with that. And so I had to learn, well, how, who makes the policy changes? And I wrote every member of the House and Senate Armed Services Committees um, when I was 13 years old. And I got several letters back that were, you know, you're a girl, go do something else. And I got several letters back that said, you know, our military exists to fight and win the nation's wars. And we should have the best people in those positions. And you ought to be able to compete. Nobody said you're a girl, you ought to be able to get in that cockpit because you're a woman. They said, you ought to be able to compete. And I always thought that was really reasonable. And um, those were the members of Congress that actually fought for change. And I was a beneficiary of that change. And I, I never forgot um, that. I never forgot that idea that I'm lucky, that women before me didn't have that opportunity.
0: But you're also good right cuz they're not going to put just anybody in a, in a cockpit <laughs> well, right well i worked very a, hard What's what's an f18 worth i mean 10, $70 million yeah $70 million yeah. Dollars, right so you you have to have the technical competence you right. have to have the leadership skills but your your life was about leadership at the naval academy That's right. you played multiple sports right I can, did. can you talk about that and that journey and that time sure. and how it shaped your kind of view on on leadership and, and america this 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 show is an examination yeah. of the american experiment yeah. where are we as a country and your personal Life and journey is kind of an examination of how the country has changed yeah. as well. But can you talk about how that
4: well, shaped I, who you are? I always felt extremely lucky and honored to be able to attend the U.S. Naval Academy. I worked very hard to get there, and when I I went there, I, I just loved it. I was surrounded by patriotic Americans from all around this country, and it was just it really molded me. I, I came from Kentucky. Um, And I I was very proud of being from Kentucky. But then, you know, when I I went to the Naval Academy, my first roommate was um, a girl from Queens, New York. And so all the stereotypes that she had about Kentucky, you know, came out and all the stereotypes I had about New Yorkers came out all in that first what they call plebe summer, which is very hard. You really get to see who you are. And we're friends today, you know, and that was that's sort of the military for me. And that's what I loved about it. I, I was commissioned as a United States Marine Corps officer. Why? I, Marines were the best and, uh, and I and I, wanted, I wanted the toughest and I got it and, and from there um, I, got, I went to flight school and just worked my butt off to get into fighter jets.
0: And I, I read a little bit about it but where were you on 9/11? like on, on those days yeah. can, can you kind of paint the picture of where you were?
4: Yeah, I was stationed in Miramar in Marine Corps Station Miramar in San Diego, California and I lived very close to the north gate of the base. Um, I was a junior officer, so I lived in a, a small condo close to the base, which, as you know, if you're, you know, the closer to the base you, you are, the, the cheaper <laughs> the condos are. Right. the, 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 the high, More senior officers live further away. And so when 9-11 happened, we got a call from my um, executive officer or the officer in charge, whoever was on duty, to all the officers and said, get in. Get on the base. Get in your flight gear. So I rushed um, into the ready room. I was one of the first um, air crew to get into the ready room, and um, 10 or 15 minutes goes by, um, 20 minutes goes by, and the executive officer comes in. Um, He may have been the operations officer, I can't even remember, and looks around at all the air crew that were in the room, and there were only about six of us, or seven of us. And I remember him looking up on the whiteboard and and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to put McGrath in, she's brand new. And, um, and sure enough, I w- because I was the only one there, um, I h- was ordered to man one of the jets out in the combined arms area on the other side of the base, which had six air-to-air missiles uh, loaded up. And we went over there, put our flight gear on, and turned up, you know, all- both engines, got everything online, got all the weapon systems online, and parked right off the runway, ready to go. And of course, the mission was. We were going to respond um, to any airliner possibly coming to the Los Angeles or San Diego area. And so I did that for four hours. I sat on the runway with six fully armed air-to-air missiles, radar and and heat-seeking missiles, um, ready to go to do potentially the unthinkable. And, um, you know, that was was my 9-11.
0: I, I wanted to to hold on that story because I think I was here in New York, right, on the opposite coast at the same time, mm-hmm. and, and so many other people are shaped by that moment. But I think there's a whole side of the military and national security apparatus that was put into place, right, and that was stood up in those moments that people are still unpacking. Yeah. So, you know, you were the, the line of defense for Los Angeles. That's right. You and, and your crew and the other aircraft in your unit were literally the, the line of defense against anything coming into Los Angeles and San Diego. That's right. And the magnitude of that, that, that would have been your first combat mission. Absolutely.
4: And I was, you know, I was brand new to my squadron. I'd had only been to, into my operational squadron, maybe four or five months. And, um, it was very, very real, um, surreal almost. And I remember getting out at being relieved of that duty after the four hours or so in the jet, another air crew would come in and, um, going back to the ready room and, still kind of shaking, you know, like, wow, what just happened? Where are we? Where is our country? What's going on? And I, the first phone call I made was to my mother um, to tell her what was going on, what I was doing, and to, you know, see if she okay, is everybody okay? Um, and then we knew immediately, just like anybody that was in the military at that time, the, um, the crisis level went up, and we, we deployed... Almost immediately within a couple of weeks we had a pre planned exercise and we thought we were gonna do this exercise and then go to the Middle East right after that. So we were we were gone immediately.
0: And then when was your first deployment to the Middle East in in support of combat mission or combat operations? And can you kinda paint that picture and what that phase of your military experience and career was like?
4: Yeah. So my first combat deployment was to um a country called Kyrgyzstan, which is just north of Afghanistan. And it was early 2002. We did not have any um, real bases in Afghanistan at that time. You know, we hadn't built Kandahar or Bagram to the point where we could have fighter jets there. So we had to have fighter jets located in other countries. And remember, this was a time when the rest of the world was kind of with us. Um, Countries like Kyrgyzstan, they were with us. And so they opened up an old Soviet bomber base called Manas, And we built it. Um, I remember landing in an F-18, and we literally did the Marine Corps expeditionary thing that you always heard about. You know, we landed our aircraft, and then we pitched our tents. It was amazing. Um, And that was early 2002. And then we started flying combat operations about a week after we got there, um, down south into Afghanistan, to really support the troops on the ground, special operations, mostly U.S. Army, um, some Marines, but not many. Not many Marines at that time that did we support that that came later. It was mostly a joint force at the
0: time. And you, you've been a trailblazer in, in many ways, but throughout that journey, how often did you see other women getting in a cockpit?
4: Not very often. Um, I knew I was one of very few. Um, there were other women in the Marine Corps and they were great, but there were so few of us. Um, so you know, when we got together, it was it was fun. Uh, but, um, you know, it's one of the things that I thought would change over time that we would really get a lot more women in the fighter community in, in the Marine Corps and in the Navy. And I don't think it's really increased the way I imagined it to. It's still very rare. But um, I'm, I'm very hopeful. You know, in the U.S. Naval Academy right now, about a third or 30% or so of uh, graduates are women. And that's... I think that's about right, 30% or so. I could be wrong on that. But it's much higher than when I went there. So. And
0: so you did 20 years, right, or so? And I then, did, 20. And then got out. Yeah. And I was reading that, you know, for, it sounds like for most of your life and your career, you were a political independent.
4: I was, and
0: you know. can a lot of our audience is unaffiliated, independent, mm-hmm. frustrated with both parties, right? Um, can you talk about why you first decided to run for office? Sure. And why did you decide to run as a Democrat?
4: Yeah. Well, um, I decided to run. I was really reaching the end of my military career, the end of my um, Marine Corps career, and I, I think, like many Americans, um, just a few years ago. Uh, my husband, by the way, is a Navy pilot. And so, and he was a Republican lifelong. I was an independent. But we sort of looked at each other and we were like, what's happening in our country? Like, where are the leaders? Where are the leaders? And, and, and to me, it, that's what it came down to. And I just figured, I, I, I got to stand up. We need better leaders in this country. Uh, and that's when I decided I'm going to run. I mean I've always I've always done the sort of bold thing. People have told me you can't do it before. Lots of people told me I couldn't run. I didn't know enough rich people. I would never be able to raise the money. I mean that's what that's what they tell you. Yeah. And that's I a said, lot of
0: vets here also. I mean, it's, yeah. there's a lot of competitive advantages to being vets, but there's also, you know. We don't have pe- a
4: lot of rich friends. <laughs> well, and, pe-
0: and people came after you and said, she hasn't been here. Well, that's because you were deployed right. in combat, right. right? Somebody came and said, well, yep. she hasn't been in Kentucky. Yep. Well, that's because you were on the front line of defending America's right. freedom, right? But that yep. was an actual attack that was lobbed it against was you lobbied point, right? That was
4: lobbying against me. And, we didn't, and I didn't have the political connect- connections right. that a lot of people. Um, but I, f- I felt very strongly that I had to stand up it was a moment in our in our country's history where I didn't want my children, I have three young children, to look back 10 years from now or 15 years from now, and I didn't want to be on the couch with them and say, well, I, I thought about running for Congress, but I didn't have the courage. You know, I didn't want, I didn't want to have to say that. I wanted to be able to look back and say, you know, this was what was wrong with our country. And I stood up and I tried to make a difference. And I think that's what motivated me. You know, as far as being a Democrat, I mean, i I felt like the Republican party of right now is, I don't recognize it. I don't, I mean, because I, I did feel like I was always an independent and I could see both sides. Um, and then frankly, if it weren't, going back to my original story, if it weren't for Democrats in Congress, I wouldn't have had a job in the last 24 years. Mm. That's a fact as a woman in the military. Mm. And so, you know, I—I in Kentucky, you can 't run as an independent, you have to pick a party, and you know for me the the values um, I believe very much in progressive values, but I think they're American values and so and I feel like that's more aligned with who I am.
0: Can you talk a bit more about about that, Amy, because people hear that term progressive values, yeah. and I think progressive is sometimes a newer term or even an evolving term Mm -hmm. for me, like politically, it almost depends on who you're talking to, to define what it means. So for you and given that backstory, given your independent background, given that you're in Kentucky, how do you, how do you define progressive values?
4: Well, I I define it in the way that I think about in the military. Um, The idea of equal opportunity for me is, is something that was very real in my life. If people weren't able to change and progress, I would not have had the opportunity to be a fighter pilot. You know, had, had we gone with what my congressman said, which was, you know, our military doesn't really want to change, we're fine the way we are, you're a girl, you can go do this and that, but you know, you really shouldn't compete in this area. Uh, we, I've never had the opportunities. And so I feel very strongly that, that that's important to keep pushing, that everybody des- deserves to have an opportunity and we need to keep working to get better education Um, better jobs for people so that everybody, no matter what, where you come from has that opportunity. And I'm also, it's also really important to me. I serve with people from all walks of life. I serve with people who um, are black, white, different ethnicities, different religions, some with no religion at all. And you know what? We all wore the uniform of this country. And that to me matters. That's America. And that was really important, and I felt like um, we need to bring that to the forefront again. So when I say progressive, that's what I mean. It's mm. not, it's not anything more than just making sure that we are stand up for American values. I think
0: it's really important to hear you communicate that because you have the opportunity to redefine um, what the Democratic Party is. I mean, there's, you know, there, there aren't folks like. Bob Carey or Jim Webb or even a Chuck Hagel on the right, right? There was this generation of veterans that also, I think, pushed the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. you know, maybe away from the left, frankly, and, and more moderate and yeah. definitely to have more of a focus on national security and, and defense. Yeah. Um, so there's an opportunity here for leaders like you, frankly, no matter how your race turns out, mm-hmm. you're going to shape what it means to be a, a, a Democrat. But when you go home to Kentucky, there's, it's a reality that Democrats are, I think, viewed as weak on national defense, hmm. right? Especially in places like Kentucky. Mm. So, how do you approach that? Right? That's been a label. In some some ways, it's it's yeah. unfair. In some ways, it's it's fair. But also, what the Republicans have done over the last generation is say they're strong on national defense, right? And in politics, if you say something enough, it becomes true, right? And the Democrats don't say it, right? So, when on that issue in particular, when you're walking in to to BFW halls, when you're at you know, uh, local events in Kentucky. Uh, I imagine people want to talk about national security Mm -hmm. and defense because it's important in many states, but especially in a place like Kentucky. But how do you, how do you talk about that? And how do you think about that in particular?
4: Well, I think that, you know, you're right. There, there are a lot of stereotypes out there. Um, But I try to approach it with, well, you know, I'm a Democrat and look, look what I've done in my life and look what I stand for. And, you know, Republicans like to, to talk about how strong they are in national security. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Congress has, both Democrats and Republicans, Congress has punted on some really important things in the last 20 years. Um, I am a big proponent of, you know, reauthorization to use military force. I, I, in our Constitution, it says Congress is supposed to be doing this. And it is just, to me, it, 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 it makes me angry that we have a Congress that hasn't had the courage to do that. Um, that's part of their job. And right now we've let the president, no matter what party, whether it's a red jersey or a blue jersey, just take, take that on. And I think it's to the detriment of civil military relations in our country because our country doesn't really know where we're at, all the wars that we're fighting, all the places that we're fighting, because Congress hasn't had um, the courage to stand up and debate whether we should be in um, Yemen, Nigeria, Libya, Syria, Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan, you know all of these places, and I just think that's really important because we have if we have military um, servicemen and women going over there and potentially dying, Congress should at least be able to debate about that. Um, so, and I think that's a nonpartisan thing.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think we've talked about it a lot on this show about the authorized use of military force and how Congress has a blank check; they have no accountability. They can basically go where they want, when they want, spend as much as they want you know, lose as many lives as they want with no real social backstop. So I think no matter what your political party is, you know, reexamining the AUMF and calling for that accountability is necessary. I hope you can be a voice for that. Um, I want to talk specifically about why this show got into Kentucky so much, right? We're a national show. People come from all backgrounds and we've got a lot of people who listen in Kentucky, but you're in the most, maybe the most high-profile Senate race in the country. And we kind of got pulled into this because Mitch McConnell, specifically as Senate majority leader, was so terribly failing the 9-11 first responders. Yeah. And as we have this conversation, yeah. the, finally, the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund will pass. It's going to overcome the, the block from Rand Paul, which yeah. I covered in the past and we'll cover again this week, but it's ridiculous and it's stubborn and it's ideological. And I think it's selfish of Rand Paul to put that block on there, but uh, we're finally going to get the support that nine 11 first responders deserve. And you're going to get a lot of support from nine 11 first responders because you're running against Mitch McConnell, right. who I think has frankly been cowardly as we sit here today. I've got Rob Sarah was on a couple weeks ago. If you haven't heard that show, go back and listen to it, but he gave me a FTNY hockey shirt on mm-hmm. that, that I'm wearing now. And I've got, a hat on for the uh, Continental Village Volunteer Fire Department my father serves. Yeah, And so today, this week, is a very important time for the 9-11 first responders community. Yeah. But this also shows the hypocrisy of the leadership in Washington. Yes. So let's talk about McConnell specifically. Yeah. Why should Americans outside of Kentucky care about you beating Mitch McConnell?
4: Well, just directly to the 9-11 first responders, and then I'll talk more broadly yeah. You know, it's terrible what's happened. Um, you should not have to come begging to Congress every two years for this. I mean, if we had leaders that would just do the right thing, I mean, look, Mitch McConnell was in power with it. his party was in power for two whole years. He, he, didn't, he didn't secure any of the funding for these things. And, um, you know, you know what he did? He passed this massive tax windfall for millionaires, people just like him. That's all he did. That's the only major piece of legislation that they passed in two years. Um, they didn't pass any legislation they didn't you know secure the border they didn't do anything on infrastructure, they didn't do anything to make fix health care and that's the biggest thing. It's about priorities. And Mitch McConnell's priorities are just so far off where the average Kentuckian is um, and that's why I'm running against him. I mean his priorities are the special interests and the entities that fund his campaign. And it shows, and you have to, he has to be shamed into doing the right thing. I mean, we're doing, we're seeing it also in Kentucky with uh, the coal miners, you know, I mean, uh, folks with uh, black lung disease have worked their whole lives in the mines. And now these mines close and they go bankrupt and and they're not helping the miners that are, you know, and we need to help them. And guys like Mitch McConnell, it's just, it has to be shamed into doing it, you know, over and over again. So I think that's, that's the big problem. But more broadly, I mean, this is a man who is the perfect example of Washington dysfunction. He cares about his own party, his own power, um, to the detriment of really the entire country, and certainly to the detriment of Kentucky. Uh, And, you know, it's for those of us who fought for our country and swore an oath to the Constitution, to see that, you know, him just blatantly sort of rip up the Constitution and just do whatever he thinks is going to be, Personally, powerful or powerful host for his political Um, party—that makes me angry. You know, that makes me angry. It's not that's usually the question
0: I ask. Is you know, Amy McGrath, what what makes you angry?
4: There you go. You know, I mean, that's that's what it is. It's I have want to have faith in our government. I want to believe in our country and in our government. And guys like Mitch McConnell make you cynical, and that's why he's got to go.
0: And. If, if I can ask you to build on that, because it's not just guys like Mitch McConnell, it's Mitch McConnell.
4: Because <laughs> yeah, he be nice. in
0: particular, this is kind of a twofer, right? For people of any party who care about accountability, mm-hmm. who care about country over party. Right. If you beat Mitch McConnell, you beat, in my view, a bad leader, yeah. but you also beat the Senate majority leader who controls the priorities. That's he right. determines whether or not right. John Stewart has to go down to Washington and yep. beg for three months. He determines whether or not our wars are authorized. Mm-hmm. He determines whether or not VA oversight happens that's right. and, uh, you know, everything else he sets the tempo. Yeah. So, and he's so, very
4: open and arrogant about that. He, he's basically saying, you know, infrastructure is, is dead on arrival. It's not going to come to revolt, you know, and he's the one that, that has that power and he's, he's not using it to the benefit of the United States. He's not using it to the benefit of Kentuckians. Um, and that's the big problem. And he's been around 34 years and he is a creature of Washington, DC. Um, many Kentuckians voted to, to drain the swamp. I mean, that's that was why they voted for, for President Trump in many cases. So you can't do that until you get rid of Mitch McConnell. I mean, you cannot change Washington until you change the people you send there.
0: And, and so there was a, a photo today online that I saw that had Mitch McConnell kind of creeping down the hallway, and John Stewart was kind of standing on a corner looking, watching him. Like, on a, on a very basic level, uh, for folks who are watching outside of Kentucky, did, did that crack through? Did all of the John Stewart stuff, he's considered maybe a New yeah. York liberal and all the firefighters and cops came from 50 states, but did all this pressure really hurt him? Because I hope it did, right? Like, I hope that it, that he felt it, but I think it's easy to, to step away from a state and not know what's going on inside. So do you feel like people in Kentucky have been seeing that and feeling that and, and are, are questioning him for it?
4: I do. I think that that anytime that happens. And you have to have a big name like Jon Stewart shed light on these things. And that's just the sad part about all this. It's like, gosh, why can't you just do the right thing? You know, why do you, why do you need to be shamed into, into doing this every time? And it's not just that. I mean, it's basic stuff, Paul. I mean, Mitch McConnell in 2016 had the ability to warn the American people that we were being attacked by a foreign adversary, had the ability to warn us that it was happening in a bipartisan way so that it was not looked upon as a partisan thing, it was looked upon as a national threat to our country, the way it should be, because this is not a partisan issue. Our election security should not be a partisan issue. And he failed to do that. I think that that's that's unforgivable. And on top of that, right now, he's the one that's holding up basic, measures that would protect our elections for the future. And again, this is not partisan because, Paul, you know, the, the Russians attacked our elections in 2016 for the benefit of the Republicans. We know this. But next time it might be China. And next time it might be against the Republicans. It might be for the Democrats. I personally think it's wrong either way and that we have we have to bring, you know, take care and protect our democracy just like we would protect our nuclear power plants or our border or our troops or anything else. I mean, it's a fundamental part of who we are.
0: And a part of that responsibility also includes establishing leadership beyond the white house. And one of the areas I've been extremely critical of McConnell and others is the fact that until this week, we did not have a Senate approved secretary of defense. So, so general Mattis, again, we've covered this on the pod, go back and listen to past episodes. If you're new, you know, general Mattis, resigns in protest in December. And it's almost August. And we've had a number of acting secretaries We're in war with multiple countries. And there was a vote, you know, this week uh, and eight senators voted against Esper, um, who is the nominee for secretary of defense. And in part, and I think, I think personally, rightfully so, because he refused to recuse himself from issues dealing with his former employee Raytheon. Mm-hmm. Right, so Esper was the lead lobbyist for Raytheon, right. and he's following Shanahan, who was a lead lobbyist for Boeing. Mm-hmm. So, on, on a very basic level, would you have voted for Esper if you were there?
4: You know, I don't know because I, 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 don't have the information in the background, and I wasn't, and I'm. It's very important to me that if I'm, if I should I become a senator of, of Kentucky, that I am thoughtful and reasonable with everything that I look at with any kind of vote that I make. So, um, I don't know the answer to that.
0: And I, I appreciate you, your candor. Um, but you do, uh, you know, you do bring to the table like Tammy Duckworth has, like, uh, mm-hmm. Seth Moulton has like many other Democrats yeah. that you bring that national security experience and kind of arms you to be more effective on an armed services committee.
4: Absolutely. And so, we need that. And, yeah. you know, it was guys like John McCain, Right. who were the ones who were able to stand up and say, no, we don't need to buy that.
1: Hmm.
4: You know, we're, we're, we're actually buying a Ferrari when we need a Honda. I you mean, know I mean? That's, that's, that was John McCain, and, that, and he had that credibility. And that's something that I want to do. I mean, I care about our national defense, but we need to have people that understand what we need.
0: I want to stay on the Ferrari piece, because <laughs> that's another part of the show. And uh, when you were growing up in Kentucky, I asked this of, of every guest. Uh, what was your first car, <laughs> Amy McGrath? What was your yeah. first car?
4: Well, I, I the first car that I bought um, was at the U.S. Naval Academy when we got our senior year. We got a loan, um, at Navy Federal Credit Union, and um, I bought a Jeep Wrangler because I always wanted a Jeep Wrangler. It was totally soft top or hard top. soft top. Uh-huh. It was totally inefficient, and you know, I can't imagine driving one today but it was sure was fun at the time
0: and what, what color was the jeep wrangler
4: it was um royal blue that's a nice yeah, guy that, with, i, with I bought a jeep top.
0: wrangler when i was in the army awesome. and it was kind of the perfect car when you're on active duty and when you're rolling around and yeah it's but when stick you stick shift over, stick shift yeah uh ah, and when you go over 60 miles an hour in a soft top <laughs> on the highway you can't hear anything right. it probably sounds quieter inside yeah. an f18 yeah. than it does inside a it wrangler does. right yeah awesome awesome yeah. so when you look When you look forward, Amy, um, you know, a lot of this is going to be strategy and tactics. You know, you, your military planning background brings you a certain degree of advantage, but how do you beat this guy? Because a lot of folks have tried and failed. Yeah. You, um, you came really close in a congressional election last week, but, but can you beat him and, and how do you beat him? And frankly, for an audience that is probably sympathetic to your cause that wants also to beat him, what, what's your, what's your strategy? to beat him?
4: Well, I think he is beatable. Um, he is the least liked politician in Kentucky at the federal level. Um, president Trump is the most liked. So there is, there is a Delta there and you have to, um, you have to look at that. And, and so why is he so disliked? I mean, I think he's so disliked because he's been around a long time and he's the, you know, people know that he is part of the problem, part of the dysfunction. And so, you know, what I'm Need to do is I need to um, get out there, talk to as many Kentuckians as I can, um, energize as many new voters uh, who believe in American values. This is just the same way I did in the last cycle, but also really reach out to to people in the especially in the rural areas in rural Kentucky, and um, and talk to them. And when I do, I get a sense that you know a lot of people are still um, Trump supporters and Trump voters, and and you have to look at you know why. A lot of people voted for, for Trump. They voted for Trump to drain the swamp, to shake things up, because think our system is not working. It, it is not, it's broken. And a lot of people get that, and they, they feel like we need outsiders. We need people who have not been around for 34 years, because if we keep electing the same type of people, nothing's going to change. And so there's, um, you know, President Trump spoke to a lot of these people who have been feeling very left behind in many places in Kentucky. And I get that. I really get that. And so when I when I talk to people, I'm like, "Hey, if you want to drain the swamp, you really want to get things done. We have got to get rid of guys like Mitch McConnell." And I'll just give you a, a an example. Um, President Trump has actually talked about one of his big priorities is trying to get uh, drug prescription drug prices down. It's an everyday thing. It's really important for Kentuckians because in Kentucky we have the second highest. Um, uh, We're this this second highest state, I guess, in terms of um, how much people pay for prescription medication. So it's really important. And, you know, President Trump's talked about this. He's talked about re-importing drugs from Canada as a possible reasonable way of doing this, having Medicare renegotiate for drug prices, which is a pretty reasonable thing, bipartisan, lots of people are for it. Makes sense. Who stops that? Who stops that every time? Mitch McConnell. Well, why? Why would he stop that every time? It's not rocket science. He gets $1.2 million from Big Pharma in his last election. The, the most money given to any single member of Congress in the last cycle went to Mitch McConnell from Big Pharma. I mean, it, it's just you put two and two together. And so I think that's the kind of, of message that I, I want to give to my fellow Kentuckians like, hey, if you want things to change, We gotta elect somebody that just wants to do what's right for Kentucky and is not bought off by these special interests. So
0: preparing for what will be a brutal landscape, right? Running for office in a time like this is kind of like combat, right? Yeah. And it's asymmetrical warfare. Yeah. Um. You know, I I wonder how you're going to prepare for what could be an inevitable attack. When when uh you become you become the next John Tester, right? Where where Trump singled out John Tester because he (laughs) um. really was was pushing for oversight, and Ronnie Jackson, when he was VA Secretary Tester, kind of led the stoppage of yeah. Ronnie Jackson, and Trump tried to hurt him back home, tried to make an example of him, tried to smear him as someone who wasn't in support of veterans. So, you know, how do you prepare for that attack, which yeah. may or may not come? And then right. also, when you look at the attack, the political attack that Trump waged this week on four Democrat-American Citizens yeah. who are women of color. Yeah. Um. How do you view that, right? And so, two part question. But yeah. If well, you can. I mean,
4: I think it. It's probably going to happen. I mean, I think that that that's that's just the reality of it. And how do you prepare for it? I mean, you. For me, I just try to you remain calm. You're professional. You try to counter, but with facts. You try to go out and and, and you know get your message out there, and just recognize that. That's unfortunately going to happen. You know, we know this. I'm not afraid of challenges. I'm not afraid of this environment. I mean, I was a Marine. Marines, I know you're probably going to roll your eyes, but we run to the battle. That's what we do. Don't, I don't, I don't we, my we, we don't, we don't run away. We <laughs> yeah, run, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, you're army guy. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know? I'm an army guy. So somebody has got to do the heavy, <laughs> you guys can do the heavy lifting. We'll do the yeah. heavy thinking. But I mean, that's, you know? that's,
4: that's what I was trained to do. <laughs> right. I mean, like, this is hard. It's important and it's vitally important for our country. And you know what? I'm okay with, I'm okay with that stuff because I've had friends die in combat. They're gone. I'm here. I need to, it needs to matter. And, and, so I'm doing what I need to do for my country right now and for Kentucky. So I'm okay with it.
0: I'm I'm I am moved by your passion and your focus. And um, for folks who are listening, we also have we'll have video of this interview up on the site on AngryAmericans.us in the next couple of days. And I want you to remember this part of the interview and watch Amy's face because I think you're bringing a seriousness and a focus that is authentic. And frankly, I think it's part of why I and other people have been watching your campaign so closely is because you're, you're honest, you're bringing a realness to this that, that is overdue. And it's a contrast to McConnell where he won't stand up, for example, and condemn Trump's racist remarks, you know, for, for on a very basic level, but also his wife is Asian American. So it's a personal thing for him. And even at that moment, it's become a clarifier um, in that you know, this is an integrity check for people. This moment and Trump continues to be an integrity check for people. Um, and I think your integrity has been has been tested. It will continue to be tested, and it could be the great differentiator between you and, and McConnell ultimately. Mm-hmm. But building on that, Amy, you're also a mom mm-hmm. of three kids, three little kids. Yeah. Um, a lot of folks listening are struggling to balance life, children, finances. And, and part of why I want to interview you is because you're just a, a kick-ass person. You're an inspiring person. You're a role model for many people. And, you know, how do you, how do you do all that? And what, you know, if you could go back and talk to Amy McGrath 20 years ago and say, Hey, you know, here's some advice for yourself. Mm-hmm. What would you, what would you tell them? And, and how have you been well, so successful and done so many things at the same time, frankly?
4: I, w- I would say what my mother told me, which is you do it one day at a time. And that has, I've kept that my whole life, no matter what I was doing, whether it was training to fly an aircraft on the back of an aircraft carrier at night, or whether it was having the third of my three children, um, you know, no matter what it is, you do it one day at a time. And I, and I learned that from my mother, who was also a trailblazer, who became a medical doctor in the 1960s. She was one of the first women to graduate from the University of Kentucky Medical School. And, you know, when I went into the military and I went into the Marine Corps, whenever I would have a bad day or, you know, being a woman as a minority, you know, some things uh, happen and you kind of talk to your mom about it. You know, how how am I going to deal with this situation or that? And my mom was always the one that said, ah, water off a duck's back, you know, prove them, prove them wrong. You'll be fine. You know, and she and she did it. Um, and not only that, but she um, was physically handicapped. She had polio as a, as a kid and it didn't stop her. And I just got so much inspiration from my mom that when I looked at big challenges, um, they didn't look so big because I, I always look back at mom and mom overcame so much. And I was like, well, I can do this, you know.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I got to go back to your flight days for one, one, one second because every time I talk to a pilot, you know, I come from the military. I got to ask them what's their call sign. <laughs> and this is a military thing. We know to ask people because there's always a story. And I know the answer, but I ask you to share. Can you okay. tell us what your call sign was and, yeah. and why?
4: And, okay. do you, and do you fly anymore? You right. Know, that's- yeah. So let me just preface this by saying in the Marine Corps, call signs are meant to make fun of you. We're not like the Air Force where, you know, call signs are really cool. Um, my call sign was uh, Krusty with a K, Krusty the Clown. And um, if you remember, Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons had very big hair that stuck up, you know, straight and to the left and to the right. And I had much bigger hair. It was very curly. And when I put my cover on, the guys thought that I looked like Krusty the Clown. And, you know, I protested at first, which is not what you should do because then it it, it stuck. And and then I just became one with it. And um, I'm fine with it now.
0: Um, When I played rugby, there were nicknames given out. And I, believe it or not, my, my, uh, rugby nickname had to do a bit with my hair because at the time I had long flowing blonde hair <laughs> and the guys called me Ferrari Barbie Nice. and I hated it yeah. and therefore it stuck. <laughs> so even now, 20 years later, people now that I got a bald head, totally different look. People will still occasionally call me Ferrari, Ferrari Barbie. Yeah. So I can relate to you on that, on that level. Um, do you fly anymore? And do you miss it? I do. It?
4: I do fly a little bit of general aviation, not as much as I'd like. It's a it's pretty expensive, yeah. frankly. Um, but I'd love to get back into it and I might do that.
0: And I, I gotta ask you because of the timing, there's a new Top Gun movie coming. <laughs> Now, now yeah. you know, uh, Maverick's like a, I don't know, a 50-year-old captain still. He hasn't been promoted. I don't right. know how the heck he's still in the, in, in the flight yeah. world, but this is going to be a thing, right? <laughs> and maybe it's going to be, you know, yeah. a part of your campaign here. But any thoughts on, on the resurgence and the reemergence hey, of the I classic mean, Top Gun here?
4: I, I think it's great. I, I'm all about movies with fighter jets. Um, I love them. Uh, we'll see what happens with this one. The, the original one, of course, was Iconic. Uh, I was not even really a huge fan of the original one just because there were no women flying and I was, you know, 10 years old when it came out and I was like, well, how come on? There's no women flying. But, but of course it's a, it's an amazing uh, movie and it's probably the biggest single recruiting um, thing that the Navy had, you know, in the last 20 years was that movie. So
0: Well, you're going to be a boost for the Navy recruiting too. I think inevitably your inspiration and your story is going to motivate other people to think about the profession of arms and the career you've chosen and public service. But I want to ask you, Amy, the the last question I ask every single guest, we've talked about what makes you angry. We've gotten to the car question, Mm -hmm. but what's something that makes you happy?
4: There's no question, My children, Um, you know, being a Marine and being a fighter pilot was everything I wanted to do. And it was my dream. But, um, now that I have kids, I just, I'm I'm just a different person and I, I love it. I mean, they challenge me in ways. Oh my gosh. I never thought it would be challenged. I mean, in my life, I mean, you, you know, it's just so challenging and people say to me, what, what's harder running for, for political office or being a fighter pilot? I'm like, you know, I'm a mom of three small kids. (laughs) That is way harder than anything else but there's just so much joy and they're just such a miracle every day. Just looking at them um, is amazing. And so they, they make me happy.
0: I, I can relate. And I've, I've actually told folks that I think there's only, there's a parallel here, combat and parenthood in that unless you've been through it, you really don't understand it. <laughs> you can think you do, you can watch a movie, you can talk to a friend, you can say, Oh yeah, yeah, I relate. But unless you've been downrange or unless you've been responsible for the life of another human being, yeah. you really can't fully absorb the the magnitude of it. That's right. Um, and and I know they will be inspired by your story, and I know they'll be inspired by your example. And we're going to track it on this show um, as long as it goes, and I think long after, no matter how this race comes out. you know, I want to thank you for stepping up on behalf of all Americans, all you've done to set the example and to lead on behalf of this country and all you're going to do and continue to do. It really is inspiring. Well, I appreciate
4: that. You know, um, everybody has to do their part right now is what I, the way I look at it. Um, some people can stuff envelopes. Some people can knock on doors. Some people can do podcasts. Some people can run for office. Um, some people can contribute to campaigns. Uh, we all have to do something. And, and I'm trying to do my part.
0: Uh, And it's, it's a big part already. It's a daunting task, but this community will track closely. And I've encouraged folks to support your campaign to learn more about you. But before we wrap Amy, we have another tradition, which is the giving of the gifts, which we do on each show. So we've got three categories of gifts for you. And, um, I'll start with what is the easiest, which is, some. Angry Americans Gear, right. which is American made by the veterans at Oscar Mike, made in the USA, awesome. which is a hard thing to do. Yeah. So we, we give that to you with our Thank thanks. Um, next is actually uh, the last of the questions, the unofficial question. <laughs> All season, we've asked each guest. Yeah. Uh, we started this around Easter time, but we have Peeps, okay. the classic American treat, yeah. and there's three colors, pink, blue, and yellow. Which one would you choose and why?
4: Wow. Um, not pink <laughs> just because I've never been a pink person as a kind of a tomboy. Um, I probably have to go with yellow. That was my um, favorite color when I was a little girl. So
0: that's the overwhelming, uh, choice for most people so far. Sarah Jessica Parker had called them the OG of peeps, the classic of the peeps. <laughs> and right. lastly, now this was hard because you're from Kentucky. We were drinking. Um, Woodford Reserve, which comes from Kentucky. Right. Yeah. And each week we pick a different American whiskey okay. and I can even hold some of that other stuff. This is the hard part of being a guest on the show is I load your lap up okay, with stuff. Yeah. But uh, I walk into the liquor store each week and try to find uh, an American made whiskey that right. kind of speaks to the guest. And I did not want to go with Kentucky.
4: Oh, no. Because you
0: can get Kentucky at home.
4: Yes, I can. Okay. Hudson Manhattan rye whiskey. All right. Which yeah. might
0: sound like blasphemy to people back in Kentucky, the idea of a New York That's whiskey. That's
4: okay. You know, my husband's going to love it. He's going to love it. He likes to try everything.
0: So. But we we give that to you with our thanks. Thank you. Um, I, I, I think you'll, you'll need it over the course of the next couple of months. But most of all, you know, our thanks for your leadership and for your commitment and for being here. I hope you have a great trip to New York. We wish you the best on the campaign. You've been a true inspiration, and uh, and our community is going to be watching you closely.
4: Well, I appreciate what you've done, and that's why I wanted to come here. Um, this is important. I appreciate what you've done um, before this podcast and, and now putting this on. Thanks, Paul.
0: Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Amy McGrath. Check her out online and everywhere. Uh, read up on her bio. Follow her on Twitter, uh, and look out for her in the skies above. Uh, Angry Americans uh, wrapping up here from the Classic Car Club. Thank you very much. you know the deal and if not you're new here here it is every show I offer a way of converting your righteous understandable anger into positive action a positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans an action that'll channel your energy make you feel good and do some good and make a difference and I've got two this week and like this show they're packed with the four I's integrity information impact and inspiration and they're two quick ones Two easy multimedia ones. First off, watch Last Chance You on Netflix. I told you football is coming, and you should be excited. But season four of Last Chance You, about a junior college football program in Kansas, is amazing. I recommend the entire four seasons, but if you want to explore the world of college football and race and culture and leadership and bad leadership check out Last Chance You on Netflix. It's a look inside sports and a look inside America that I think is worth checking out. And it'll get you psyched up for football season. And reaction number two. Fifty years ago this summer, on July 20th, the world heard the famous words from Neil Armstrong as he was lowered onto the surface of the moon.
2: Um, uh, at the foot of the ladder, the Lamborghinis are only... Uh, uh, depressed in the surface about uh, one or two inches, uh, although the surface appears to be uh, very, very fine-grained as you get close to it. It's almost like a powder. Ground mass, uh is very fine. And then a long one. Okay, I'm going to leave that one foot up there and uh, both hands down to about the fourth rung up. There you go. Okay, no, I think, I'll the same. For those who haven't uh, read the plaque, uh, we'll read the plaque that's on the front planning gear of this lamb. There's, there's two hemispheres, one showing each of the two hemispheres of Earth. Underneath it says, "Airmen from the planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969." Fifty. It came in, Pete. I guess you're about the only person around that doesn't have TV coverage of the scene. <laughs> that's all right. I don't mind a bit. How is the quality of the TV? Oh, it's beautiful, Mike. It really is. <laughs> oh, geez. That's great. Is the lighting halfway decent? Yes, indeed. They've got the flag up now, and you can see the stars and stripes. Yeah, I'm going to step off the land now. It's one small step for
0: man. One giant leap for mankind. It captivated a country and a generation worldwide. It showed what Americans were capable of if we all stick together. So go to nasa.gov. Go to the website and sit down and check it out with your family and definitely with your kids. There's an amazing video photos and audio nasa is one of the greatest things about america and in recent years its budget was shredded and its importance minimized but this week underscores why nasa is so important so inspiring and so uniquely american if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share use the hashtag angry americans and let me know don't just be angry be active All right, a powerful and inspiring episode 17 is in the books. Big thanks to a few folks that helped make this episode happen. Mizzen in Maine, our new founding sponsor of this show. They're behind us for the entire month of July. They are awesome. They make great products. They make incredible shirts. So check them out. As I've mentioned, they're also an American company headquartered in Texas, which is awesome. J.J. Watt digs them, and they make this show possible. So check them out, MizzeninMaine.com or comfortable.af which is the best url around big thanks to eric schoenborn chris rosenthal mercy rich and our whole magical team at righteous media righteous media powers this entire show and we got a lot more on the way in the months and years to come bill schultz for producing this episode and working his magic now and always big thanks to bill roy volchek for shooting the video this week with amy mcgrath Which you should check out on our YouTube page or go to AngryAmericans.us. We do have video of almost every interview we've done so far, so go check that out and share. Big thanks to the Classic Car Club for again hosting our interview for this episode and all year so far. They're awesome. And if you're in New York or London, be sure to check them out. Thanks to the team at Starfish Media again for the recording help. Big thanks to Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. Check out the new designs at angryamericans.us now. We've got multiple colors. They're super comfortable. They're made in the U.S. by veterans. And it's time for thank a listener. Every week, I'll thank a few Angry Americans for checking us out and spreading the message. First up, Susan Katz, who tweets at Team Katz. Susan Katz is an Ironman, music lover, sunshine seeker, and Paralympic gold medalist. I've known her for a long time. I think she lives in Chicago and she's someone very awesome. She'd make a great guest on this show one day. At the age of 10, she had surgery to relieve some pressure on her spinal cord. And she came out of that surgery with incomplete paralysis from the waist down, meaning she still had a little bit of movement in her legs but couldn't walk. And from that point in her life, she became a full-time wheelchair user. But a little while after her surgery, her mom met another mom whose son had spina bifida and played on a local wheelchair basketball team. Their family had never heard of Paralympic sports. And with her always being interested in sports and being an athlete, her mom thought this might be a great activity for her to try. And she went on to become a Paralympic gold medalist. She's awesome. And she sent a tweet, and it said, To quote Paul Reichoff, If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. It is all of our responsibility to speak out, act, support, donate, whatever you're comfortable doing or can do, and vote. Big shout out to Susan. Thank you so much for tuning in i hope you'll join us at some point in the future on this show big thanks to katie murphy who tweets at "At katiemurph24 from boston massachusetts katie is irish proud uh she is a brain surgery survivor forever a dkm fan and hopes are so much higher so don't count me out she's a survivor she tweeted if you have not listened to angry americans with paul Reichoff yet what are you waiting for This is one of the best podcasts I've listened to, and I look forward to the notification on Thursday for a new episode. Big shout out to Katie in Boston. Thank you. Uh, And be sure, if you haven't already subscribed, go to iTunes and subscribe. This podcast will be uploaded onto your phone at 0301 a.m. Eastern Time, every single week. Finally, big thanks to Eric, who tweets at egvvnd. He's in the Chicago Burbs, and he usually posts about Notre Dame, the White Sox, Mayor Pete, and his, quote-unquote, normal, boring life. But he's a proud Navy veteran uh, and posted a a really funny picture that South Park put out on Facebook uh, about the scooters. And it said, uh, you know, it's like one day everything was fine, and the next day these fucking scooters were everywhere. So we hear you, Eric. He's been a big supporter of this show. Big shout-out to Eric, and thanks for all the support. Thank you all. And as always, thanks to my family, my amazing wife and two boys, my big guy, who's about to turn four, met Peppa the Pig this week at a kid's party. Now, not the real Peppa, but a gigantic person in a Peppa costume, which kind of scared the shit out of him, but he played it cool. Uh, And Peppa the Pig is kind of amazing, also kind of twisted. I might have to do an entire show on Peppa and Thomas the Train and tumble leaf, which is awesome by the way if you have kids and you haven't checked out tumble leaf, go check that out anyway my big guy's turning four next month and if you have any ideas for amazing birthday presents please fire away at me on twitter folks let me know and my little guy the baby is smiling like crazy he's almost five months old and everything they say about time flying by when you have young kids is true especially with the second kids but i love you guys and my wife who continues to be a queen tolerating me slaving away on this podcast thank you guys for continuing to support me and this project and most of all as always my deepest thanks to you for tuning in if you dig this show please tell your friends to check it out if you're on apple device and you like this show please leave a quick review and keep the feedback coming on social media i see you i hear you and i'm with you and later this year we're planning to take this show on the road so get ready we're going to do some angry american events live and they will be full of amazingness and the four eyes and good whiskey so look forward to that you can check us out on all your social media platforms instagram facebook twitter and we'll have more next week i'll be back on the radio monday and wednesday of next week july 29th and 31st and the week after on monday august 5th i'll be guest hosting again for chris cuomo on his let's get after it radio show on sirius xm channel 124 it's from 12 to 2 eastern and then it replays in the evening Uh, You can listen if you're a SiriusXM subscriber, live or on demand. we got a lot to cover. Uh, We're going to cover the next Democratic debate on Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'll have presidential candidate and Marine Seth Moulton on the radio as my guest. Uh, And I hope to have him on this podcast soon. I'll also have Tommy Vitor from Pod Save America and Pod Save the World on the radio with me. He's a longtime Democratic activist. And I'll have him on to explain to independents like me and everyone else what the hell the Democrats are thinking and get his inside scoop on the race and the latest debates, which will be hosted by Don Lemon, uh, among others, and is on CNN, all of which is likely to disappoint us all profoundly and give me plenty of material for next week's show. But tune in, call in Sirius XM Channel 124 next Monday and Wednesday, 12 to 2 Eastern. And check out angryamericans.us. You can see the video from our interview with Amy McGrath. You can see my cool FDNY hockey t-shirt. Uh, that Rob Sarah gave me. You can see what the classic car club looks like inside and see all our past interviews with folks like Rachel Maddow and Wes Moore. And you can get yourself some dope Angry Americans merch, which continues to be a hit. We have lots of colors and they're perfect for the summer. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is full of goodness. Uh, And you can find ways to listen to this podcast. If you need to help your uncle or your grandma or whoever has a shitty phone and doesn't listen to podcasts, you can help them find it. It also has links to our YouTube channel and all kinds of cool stuff, so check it out. Next week, we'll be back with a fresh new interview from another important, inspiring, or iconic American. It's another one you're not going to want to miss, so stay tuned, subscribe, and share, and we'll keep this movement growing week by week. And remember, it's okay to be angry, and know you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Really, especially now.